Isaiah 49 recorded God's answer to his people, telling them how it was not possible for God to forsake them or to forget about them. That it would be as impossible for God to forget them as it would be for a mother to forget her nursing child. Uh, Imagery that his people are written on the palms of his hands. And the biggest picture of all was that of a servant. That he was going to send his servant. And the servant would come and that would be the one to reconcile all people to him. To draw all the earth to the Lord. To be a light unto the nations. Calling for people to return to him. And now in Isaiah 50 from verse 4 on gives us the third servant song. And it is again a beautiful picture as we saw in Isaiah 49 because the servant now speaks again. And so now we get to hear the message of the servant speaking of Jesus and what he's going to do. And here he is describing what God is going to do for him. And in this text, we're going to notice that there are three pictures of this servant, that the servant himself in his own words describes what is going to happen to him and what he's going to do. And then in the final couple of verses gives a call to all the peoples of what they are supposed to do because of what he's done. So we're going to take it really piece by piece. Let's just start with verse four of Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50 verse four. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Picture number one that the servant gives. And he says, here I am and here is what the Lord God has given me. And he describes it as this trained ear and this trained tongue. Such that he's able to say, when I speak, it will be words of wisdom. It'll be the very words of God. It is the instructions of God. And the reason why I'm able to give you those instructions is because every day I listen to the voice of God. And so he gives this beautiful statement to say, here's what sets me apart. Here is who I am. I have the words of God. I speak them as one taught. I have the learned ear that is trained to hear the very words of God. And notice why that is so helpful to us. In the middle of verse 4, he says that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. With his words, he is able to support and help those who are worn out by sin. And I think that is an important and beautiful picture of how God helps his people. God does not help his people by pulling back clouds, throwing light down from the sky and having some big flash show. Here's what God says. You want help? Are you weary by sin? Listen to the words of the servant. The words that God has given me will sustain you. They will comfort you. They will lift you up and carry you through. That's why I speak these words. They are words of wisdom, words trained from the very lips of God that I have heard and that I give to you. 
I hope a little of John rings in your ear from all the work we've done in John's gospel, how Jesus spoke just like that and said, I'm giving you the very words of God. This is what I've heard from my father. Jesus would say over and over again in John's gospel. Here is Isaiah predicting that, promising that, which is, I think, an amazing statement that Isaiah says when the servant comes, he's going to be trained and speak the very words of God, which shows him to be the ideal disciple in verse four. Morning by morning, he awakens to hearing the voice of God. This is what he does on a daily basis. There's not a time where we see Jesus just going, you know, independent and doing whatever he wants to do. We read Jesus in prayer constantly. We read Jesus dependent on the father. And here is that picture here. He wakens every morning and his purpose is all about the very messages of God. That's what he is here to do is to accomplish the plan of God. So first image, my words comfort the weary. My words sustain the downtrodden. And that is a hope that God gives through the servant. The second picture is in verse five. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Second picture. The servant then says, I am completely submissive to the will of God. I have come to do God's will. You notice in verse 5, he's opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn my back on God's plan. God has called me to a task and I did not turn away from that. I did not turn backward. I was not rebellious in any way. I accepted what God had called me to do. And notice what he has called for the servant to do in verse 6. To volunteer for suffering. To volunteer to give up his body. And I want to emphasize the voluntary nature that Isaiah depicts in verse 6. Notice it doesn't say, here's what I had to do. I had to give my back. I was compelled to give these things over. He says, I gave. I had a choice. And I volunteered. I gave my back to those who strike. I gave my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I didn't hide my face from the disgrace and from the spitting. Here is the servant saying, I'm volunteering for what God has called me to do. I'm volunteering for the suffering that's about to unfold. For me to come and be what God has called in His purpose to be a light to the ends of the earth to reconcile not just only Israel, for that's too small of a task, as chapter 49 said, but to reconcile the whole earth. This is going to be the means of how the servant is going to accomplish it. He volunteers to give his body. He gives himself over. And it's not hard to find how many times these very pictures come to life in the gospel accounts, like in Matthew 26. In verse 66, we have Jesus on trial in the Sanhedrin. Caiaphas concludes with, what is your judgment? And they answer, he deserves death. 
Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And then later, in Matthew 27, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Isaiah predicting it. The servant saying, this is what I volunteered for. I volunteered for them to spit on me. I did not turn my face away. I volunteered to be mocked. I volunteered to be shamefully treated. I volunteered to be struck. I did not turn backward from God's plan. I gave myself over to all that God has called me to do. I was not rebellious, but my ear was open to the call of God. And so God sends the servant to reconcile the world to God, to prove That God does not forget his people. That's what chapter 49 was. God does not forget his people. God does not forsake his people. And God sends the servant as proof that God does not forget his people. And the response of the people is to beat him, spit on him, mock him, and kill him. And this is what Isaiah then looks at and says, here's how that's going to happen. And the servant is saying, I volunteered for that. I gave myself for that. For this was the plan of God. This would be the way that the world would be reconciled. The servant volunteers for this. He is submissive to the will of God. Notice the third picture in verse 7. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Third picture is in the midst of the suffering and rejection of people that he willingly gives his back, gives his face to shame and disgrace. Here the servant says, but the Lord is with me despite what they're doing. Beautiful statement in verse 7. The Lord God helps me. I am not disgraced. I am vindicated by the Lord. The world rejects Him. Everybody stands against Him. They mock Him. They spit on Him. They beat Him. But He says, but God vindicates me. And what a picture. He says, God hasn't withdrawn His support. God has not left me. I know I will not be put to shame. Verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Boy, underline that. 
The one who vindicates me, well, that's the Lord God, is near. The Lord God is with me. He is near me. He hasn't left me. He is my right hand. He is helping me. I am not disgraced. What a beautiful picture that he gives over and over again. And because of that, you'll notice what verse 7 says. Therefore, I have sent my my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Knowing that he will be vindicated by the Lord, though rejected by the people, he says, I will complete the mission. I know the purpose that the Lord God has given me. I have volunteered for the suffering and I know that I will not fail in the mission. I will do what God has called me to do. And you love the the imagery to set your face like flint. It's to be stone and you're not going to turn any direction. You are set to that direction. And I put on the screen to you Luke 9.51 because... That is a parallel that happens in the Gospel of Luke, where Luke will point out that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. And nothing will deviate him from that direction. That's where he's going. That is the purpose. That is the mission. And Isaiah says it. Here's what he's going to do. He knows his purpose. He will not deviate from the plan because God is with him. God is near him and he will not be disgraced. And then consider the powerful imagery that we find in verse nine. Who will declare me guilty? He asks. This should have been absolutely staggering. Here is Isaiah saying, now here is going to be one who's going to come. The servant is his title again and again. And when he comes, nobody is going to be able to lay a guilty charge against him. It is the picture of one who will come and will never break any of God's laws. And that's what makes the trial scene of Jesus so amazing is they try to find charges against Jesus. They try to find witnesses against Jesus. They try to drive, drum up any charge they can get against Him. And every single gathering and every single trial that happens to Jesus, every single response is, there is no guilt in this one. Pilate says it. Herod's humored by him. He doesn't have anything wrong with him. Nobody can find a charge against him. It gets to the point that the nation has to come, the wicked nation of Israel has to come up with false witnesses and false charges. And Isaiah predicts it long ago and says there's going to be one who will be perfect. Bring a charge against me. He contends and says, Someone find me guilty. Because it can't happen. He will perfectly carry out the will of God. He will perfectly carry out his laws such that he says at the end of verse 9, anyone who stands against the servant will be decimated. They will wear out like a garment. A moth will eat them up. They will be destroyed. Anyone who goes against this glorious servant, their result is secured in doom. That leads now for the servant to now make a call to the people in the final two verses that we'll spend most of our time in. Gives us three pictures 
trained by God such that His words are able to comfort and sustain the weary. Second picture, He volunteers and submits to the plan of God and gives His body to suffering. And picture three, but God is near Him and He is secure in the help of God who will be with Him throughout this whole ordeal. Now the call, verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by your torches that you have kindled. This you have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. There's the final words. The call to the people. And it's a staggering call. Notice in verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord. And obeys the voice of the servant. And do you see how the equation is made there. To fear the Lord. Is to obey the voice of the servant. That is a staggering equation because it makes the servant God. The servant says here, you got to obey my voice because that's how you're going to fear the Lord. And I think that is just simply fascinating because no one then should have been surprised when Jesus comes on the scene and says that he spoke with authority like no, no one else had ever spoken. And is speaking the very words of God. And says, these are the words that God has given me. Over and over again, the Gospels do that. And nobody should have been picking up stones to kill him and say, well, that's blasphemy. Here's Isaiah saying that's exactly what's going to happen. When the servant comes on the scene to fear God is to obey the voice of the servant. You will listen to what the servant has to say. That is how you will show your reverence before God. The parable that George read for us there to Mark 12 fits perfectly. It was an insult to the father and how they shamefully treated the son. And if you want to show reverence to the father, then you obey the voice of the son. That's what the parable is dealing with, how they reject the very servant that the Father has sent. This leads to two calls for the people of what they're supposed to do after he asked the question, who's going to fear the Lord? Who is going to obey the voice of the servant? Who is going to do what God has called the people to do? Number one, he points out in verse 10, let him who walks in darkness and has no light Trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. That is an interesting way to state it. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light. That's always a bad thing, right? Walking in darkness. Or, you know, your ears are kind of going, wait a minute. Shouldn't he be saying whoever walks in light and not in darkness obeys the voice of God? Notice what he says there. Who's going to be one who obeys? Let him who walks in darkness and not in the light trust in the Lord and rely upon our God. That's what he calls us to do. It shows us that the first picture is you have to recognize your condition. 
What he's calling for them to recognize is you better know who you are. You better recognize your condition before God. You better understand that you are walking in darkness and we will never understand and never seek the Lord as long as we think we're doing fine. As long as we think we're doing okay, hey, life is going just fine, not that big of a deal, don't really need God, got my money, got my stuff, got my health, it's all good. If you want to trust in the Lord, if you want to belong to Him, who's going to be the one who will listen to the voice of God? Who's going to be the one who is going to obey the voice of the servant? Let the one recognize that he's in darkness and not in light. Which is the essence of what Jesus was trying to teach to Israel so many times. We know those Beatitudes fairly well. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Know your standing before God. Know who you are. Understand the darkness that you're in. Think about how Jesus had to do that in John 9. That's the one that just reminded me how John 9 ends. After Jesus has healed this blind man. And remember the whole interrogation scene that goes on with this blind man. Surely you weren't born blind. Ask the parents. Well, he was born blind, but you're going to have to talk to him. You know, the whole thing falls down. And Jesus rounds that out. And Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. It's a shocking statement. You think you see. You think you're in the light. You're going to be made blind because you're not. It is only those who recognize their blindness, who know that they are in the dark. They're the ones who will be made to see. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Notice the same backward concept is in John 9 that you see in Isaiah. Is we want to think, well, I'm in the light, I can see, I'm all good. And the problem is, you're not seeing your condition before God. And that's what Israel has failed to see. I hope we've seen that in the whole of Isaiah. If we can rewind all the way back out to chapter 2. In chapter 4, where the problem was they think they stand on their own and they're not depending upon God. They're relying upon everyone else and everything else rather than God himself. He says, here's what needs to happen to be able to belong to God, to fear the Lord, to obey the voice of God is to understand our condition before God. To understand that we are in the darkness and it's Not until we have the light of Christ that lights the path and shows us the way to go do we have anything. That light does not come from within ourselves. I won't do it here, but I feel like that's just a whole sermon unto itself right there. Because we have a world that says, well, you you light your own path. You know, whatever's good for you. You've got your spirituality. If you just listen to your voice or you just find your inner self or you get in touch with who you are, go find a mountain somewhere to get all the quiet of the city out of your ears long enough, you'll find the way you need to go. Light is not found within us. The only light that exists is from God. 
we stand in the dark completely and we best remember that the only light that we possibly have comes from God alone. We can't find it from ourselves. We cannot look within ourselves and find the answer. And so often that is the picture that has tried to get been given to us. And we are at risk, I fear, to fall into the same trap of Israel, to be blind to our condition and not recognize that any goodness and any righteousness that we practice is simply because we are looking at the light of Christ, not because of that's generated from within us. He is the light. Our eyes are tracked to him. And we go the path that He shows us. That is the light that we follow. That leads to the second picture very closely to it. At the end of verse 10 and then also in verse 11, He calls upon them to trust and rely on the Lord. Trust and rely on the Lord. And I believe the picture comes off of verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Where here is the servant... And he says, I am going to voluntarily suffer for the purposes of God. I'm going to give my back. I will give my face. I will give my body. And in giving myself, and I will suffer for the cause, God will vindicate me. Notice the servant is maintaining trust in the Lord throughout the fact that he is going to suffer through all this. That's what was so beautiful about that. The contrast in verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Even though he's being disgraced and shamefully treated and he is suffering, I am not disgraced, I'm vindicated, he says. And I believe the picture then to come into the end of verse 10 is we're supposed to follow the servant with the same trust. Trust in the Lord. Rely upon Him. Look at how the servant put his trust in the Lord. He will be vindicated by the Lord even though it will look like he is forsaken and rejected by God. He'll be mocked, spit upon, and shamefully treated and killed. But God is near him. God vindicates him. And God helps him is what he says. Three different lines there. And that's the faith that we are supposed to have. We walk in the same footsteps of faith as the servant did to the father. We walk with the same faith toward the servant. In fact, that's all we have, I submit to you. That's the only way to walk through the darkness. We have to depend upon God. Otherwise, we're going to stay walking in darkness. And we're not going to see the light that God is trying to shine. And we think we're going to be able to go our own way. When over and over again, Isaiah has predicted, prophesied, preached, and declared to them, the more you keep trusting in yourself, the more problems you're going to have. And that's his conclusion that he gives here. Trusting in the Lord is the only way to belong to the light. And trusting in yourself is always going to belong and bring disaster. Every single time we rely upon self and think we're going to get ourselves through this disaster. We know this passage really well. Proverbs 16, verse 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Notice that's what verse 11 says. If you pay careful attention to the image. 
Okay, he has pictured that there are people in darkness, right? Notice what they do in verse 11. Behold, all of you who kindle a fire and equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you have kindled, for this is what you have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. He just said, you want to try to light your own path, find your own way, follow your own light, burn your own torches and go the path you think you ought to go. He says you're doomed. And notice not only are you just simply doomed, really underline the the second to the last phrase of verse 11. This you have from my hand. God decreed that's how it would go. God decreed it. He said, you rely upon yourself, you're doomed. That's from my hand, he says. We just sit there and go, well, that didn't work. I ought to try again some other way. You know, I just wasn't really smart that time. And I think I've got it figured out this time. This, If I just had the better job, if I just made more money, if I, if I just had this, that, or whatever, I lived over there, now I'd have it. God's going, don't you understand what I've decreed? Every time you try to go your own path and rely upon yourself, you're doomed. You're doomed, you're doomed, you're doomed. So he says, go ahead, light your own torches, follow your own fire, go wherever you like. But here's the result, your torment. That's your result. So God leaves us a choice. Simple choice that he is giving us here. We can either obey the servant because he is the true light. Recognize we are in the dark and he is shining the way to go toward the father. Trust not in ourselves and go, okay, my wisdom is useless wisdom. His way is the only way. My ways lead to death. My rationalizations lead to death and doom and torment and destruction. So I'll quit doing my own thinking and I'll just listen to what God says. I have that choice. Or just keep doing what we've always been doing. Kindle your own fire, light your own path, keep blazing your own trail, make your own life, do your own thing, and keep watching how it turns out. And especially watch how it turns out in the end. That's the message of the servant. Third song. He says, I gave my back to be struck. I gave my face to have my beard plucked out. I gave my body for suffering. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting. Now, will you see that that's the way God has shown that He loves you and you are not forgotten by God and that that is the means to come out of darkness and walk in light. He is the voice of God. And we listen to Him and do as He says to show our reverence and our fear and our appreciation and our love to the Father. So the servant gives us three beautiful pictures predicted over 700 years in advance of what he would do to save the world from sin. Will we turn away from our sins and turn away from self-reliance, turn away from trusting in self, 
and recognize we're in the dark and we need to follow the light of Christ. Will you read his word, listen to what he says, and follow it with all of your heart? Turn away from the life of sin. Recognize Jesus to be the servant, the son of God, the one who's come to die for sins. Be immersed in water, have your sins washed away, and follow him by faith wherever he leads. Will you come to that now while we stand and while we sing?